Hi, my name is Elle. And I'm Jared. And you are listening to the New Leaf Project. Thank you for tuning in and hanging out with us. It is yet another episode of the Movies for Lent podcast. Jared, tell us a little bit about this week's movie. Right. So this week we are looking at the film Michael Clayton. It is a legal drama. It involves, you know, sinister corporations. It is exceptionally well-directed, exceptionally well-acted, exceptionally well-written. And um, I am excited about this movie. And something new is maybe taking place this week, Elle. You you have had a certain discipline in the, the first three weeks of Movies for Lent, but can you tell us a little bit about what might be different this week? Well, yes, confession time for those who have been listening. I have mostly just given up Movies for Lent because I haven't watched <laughs> any of them so far. But Michael Clayton, I love a good like law drama. It's lawyers, right? It's like mm-hmm. bad corp, like you said. So I actually think this weekend on the docket is to watch Michael Clayton. I think George Clooney's a good actor too. So he is, he is, and he is tremendous in this movie. So I think uh, I will re-pick up movies for Lent with this one. I'm looking okay. forward to it. All right. Well, let's uh, turn things over to our good friends Jason Tripp. Adam Klein, as they lead the discussion group in reflecting on what does Michael Clayton have to do with Lent? What does it have to do with fig trees? And uh, through the magical minds of Jason Tripp and Adam Klein, you are about to find out. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to week number four of Movies for Lent, Conversations at the Intersection of Faith and Film. We have reached the midpoint of our seven-week journey, and we are grateful for those of you who have been joining us with us the last few weeks. Uh, This week, our theme is repentance, and the movie we have chosen to engage with is the, uh, the 2007 film Michael Clayton, written and directed by Tony Gilroy, starring uh, George Clooney, Tom Wilkinson, and Tilda Swinton, who incidentally uh, won the Best Supporting Actress Award for her performance in this film. As always, spoiler uh, spoiler warning, uh, we're assuming you've, uh, you've seen the film. Uh, we're going to be giving some mild uh, plot spoilers uh, ahead in the next few minutes. Um, those of you listening can't see what I'm seeing here, but uh, my... Uh, my partner in crime here, Adam Klein, is like a kid on Christmas morning this week. Uh, feels like Christmas. We got a snowstorm here in Sudbury right now, actually. Adam, I know you and I share a love for all these movies we have chosen, but is it is it safe to say that that Michael Clayton is your favorite of all of all seven? Is that a fair assumption? Easily, easily of these seven, and possibly seven hundred more. Wow! All right, yeah, it's, it's way up there. Well, I'll say I'm gonna. Having said that, I'm going to defer to you to unwrap sort of the many gifts this movie has for us. But before you do that, um, as we get in the habit of doing every week, I want to read this week's uh, lectionary passage from Luke's Gospel. And we want to discuss this passage in conversation with the film. So uh, this week I'm reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Uh, Jesus answered, uh, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, 
you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Shalom fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, well, I have uh, an uplifting message for all of you tonight. Repent or perish. Repent or perish, my friends. Apparently, at the end of a long teaching session, this is exactly how Jesus wanted to bring his point home and wrap it all up. Repent or perish. I, I find it fascinating that our passage of scripture basically begins with Jesus actually painting a very particular picture of God, uh, but doing so quite subtly in response to the news that some Gentiles had been executed by Pilate while worshiping in the temple, possibly for some crimes against the state. In response to this news, Jesus basically says that if you think his heavenly father, the God of Israel, is a vengeful God or some sort of karmic deity, then you'd be crazy because that's not how this thing works. You think those poor souls who were murdered for their crimes against the empire were more sinful than you? You think those innocent bystanders who were killed the other day because a tower collapsed on them were, were guilty of some heinous sin and got what they deserved? Well, let me spell it out for you. N-O spells no. That's not how this thing works. But I assure you, it all might seem pretty senseless in the end, if you don't take responsibility for your sins and repent instead of perish. It's almost funny to read this passage, to read these, these words of Jesus in isolation, addressing his disciples and addressing a large crowd of religious types, because um, throughout his teachings and, and Jesus' teachings and throughout the scriptures from cover to cover in the Bible, we hear, we hear several steps and actions that are actually required of us. We're told at different times in scripture that we need to confess our sins. And we're told in many passages such as this, that we need to repent. And then still also, we're told that we can be forgiven. And when it comes to this responsibility of repentance, I think it's important to understand that for Jesus and his Jewish audience, the concept of repentance primarily came from this Hebrew word, teshuva. And, and, and teshuva, or the root word shuv, is, is a verb. It's an action that's, that's really completely separate from confessing our sin or receiving forgiveness. Because re repentance is about an actual change in one's behavior. This, this Hebrew word teshuva literally means turning, to, to, to turn away 
from that action or practice or habit that leads to death, turning away from the path of perishing and instead turning towards a new practice, a healthy, a holy practice that will lead to life. And and for me, I think of all of this, I consider everything going on in this passage beneath the surface, between the lines, And I reflect on it tonight because almost all of it is exactly what I see going on in this this subtle and subversive story called Michael Clayton. You see, because here's the thing, this is probably my 10th time, maybe more that I've seen this movie. And after all these years and after all these viewings, I honestly, sincerely, I can still barely keep it together by the end. I am always a complete emotional mess as the credits slowly appear on screen. And without fail, if my wife's in the room or watching it with me, every time she looks at me like I'm a weirdo. And that's perfectly fair. But for me, Michael Clayton is a masterpiece. And I would even dare say the greatest film the last 25 years. And with it, Writer-director Tony Gilroy gives us the single greatest final shot of a film. Uh, and, And basically the story is this. Michael Clayton is a man, broken and beat down, burdened by the pressures and persuasions of the world around him. Michael's a man who's made mistakes, many mistakes, and he has at times tried to do the right thing, but... The greed, the the corruption, the addiction that surrounds him and is within him is simply too much. But as the film begins, we, we slowly discover that he has a friend who has seen the light. And this friend has confessed to the error of his ways or, or their ways. And this friend has effectively broken away from the shackles of their sinful reality. And this friend's name is, of course, Arthur. And Arthur is a manic depressive. Arthur is a brilliant legal mind. And Arthur can no longer be an accomplice to the corporate crimes and the systemic injustices that their law firm fights for and defends. And so now Arthur is on the road to repentance. Arthur is in search of penance, purity, and truth. And and all of this, not surprisingly, all sounds like nonsense to Michael and to everyone else involved and around Arthur. But Arthur is compelled to expose the truth and make things right. Now, those in power, on the other hand, those in power as weak and fragile and insecure as they might be, they do what those in power have always done, kill and cover it up. But it's too late. Arthur's work is already in motion, and Michael, grieved by the loss of his friend and the burden of truth, Michael breaks free. He accepts the invitation or the quest in the eyes of his son, to to change his ways and pursue a path of penance. And with our final shot of the film, we, we see it. We see it in his eyes. 
the, the, the weight of the world is finally falling from his shoulders. And, and Michael's free. Michael may still be a broken man, but he is no longer a burdened one. And like I said, and like I confessed, when I experience those final moments, I just can't help it but lose it because every time I see it in his face and I feel his freedom. Michael Clayton, in my opinion, is a masterpiece. Michael Clayton is a legal thriller that never sets foot in a courtroom. Instead of being the familiar film about plaintiffs or victims triumphing over evil, this instead is a story about the guilty confronting their own and how that can truly change everything. But that's really just scratching the surface for me. And there are so many other elements that I adore. But Jason, I, I'd just love to hear how this hits you. Thanks, Adam. Love the little extra passion you're you're bringing tonight, as well as the the usual wisdom. And clearly, this is a, a film that uh, is very close to your heart, and it's one that 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 I enjoy and I admire more with each viewing as well. Um, when I think of the concept of repentance, um, I first am reminded of my own childhood experiences growing up in the church. The idea and the concept of repentance was very much at the forefront, uh, but my limited understanding growing up was that repentance was uh, a one-shot deal. You know, the, the come to Jesus moment where one is washed in the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And, you know, of course, you know, scriptures and films like the ones we're engaging this week are reminders that repentance for those of us uh, who follow Jesus is, is not a one-time transaction, but rather it's the intentional, ongoing, sort of the reorientations and recalibrations, we might say, on the journey towards wholeness. Now, as I think back well beyond my childhood, going back 500 years, I recall the, the Protestant Reformation. And we can debate the merits and the shortcomings of this event, but I, I think Martin Luther was wise to begin his famous 95 theses with these words. He says, you know, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And so the scripture passage Luther was referring to there more than 500 years ago in his first of 95 theses is from Matthew 4, 17, where Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God has come near or is at hand or in our midst. And the events of incarnation and, and Pentecost you know, announce the nearness and the inbreaking of the kingdom of God with that perpetual invitation to repent and believe, to realign our lives in harmony with the character of Christ empowered by the spirit. And although there's no Christian worldview or ideology per se in Michael Clayton, and we see this desire to recalibrate and, and realign one's life, that really is at the heart, as you've mentioned, Adam, that's the heart of the film. That's the heart of the character arc of both Arthur and Michael. You know, if, if the eyes are indeed the, the window to the soul, as it's been said, you know, we witness a weary, broken man's soul in the eyes of George Clooney as he embodies this character, you summed it up well, Adam, he's, he's stuck. He's stuck in less than an ideal circumstance. He's working for this highly lucrative, high-profile law firm as a longtime fixer, which he tells us in the movie is more akin to being a, a glorified janitor cleaning up messes more than the, the miracle worker he's often touted as being. You know, this is who he is in this film. And you know, my favorite scene in the film is one we get to witness not once, but twice in the film. 
you know, Michael having just left a late night appointment where he was tasked with cleaning up a messy situation involving an important client to the law firm who left the scene of a crime after hitting a pedestrian with his vehicle. And in the early hours of the morning, a weary and disillusioned Michael Clayton, carrying the weight of his unpaid gambling debts, the stresses of his toxic work environment, and the grief of the suspicious death of his longtime friend, Arthur, the litigator in the film who suffers from mental illness, whose murder was the result of his genuine desire to come clean about some of the, the lethal injustices of the agriculture company he had been legally defending for six long years. Now, carrying all of this weight, Michael spots three horses grazing in a field. You know, normally, I suspect he would have just kept driving past these, maybe giving a glance. But in this moment, these horses triggered a recent memory in the film for Michael. A picture of a horse in the fantasy book Realm and Conquest, which Michael's son had shared with Arthur, inspiring him, even in his poor mental state, to pursue truth and justice, to repent of his role in the injustices of the law firm. You know, this penultimate moment provided the opportunity for Michael to make a decision with the potential to recalibrate his life for the better. You know, as Michael spends an emotional moment face to face with these horses, undoubtedly probably envying their freedom, even as he's feeling so burdened and broken. And well, he's stuck in bondage to grief, debt, and the shame of being complicit in the, the grave injustices of his law firm. Boom, his car explodes. You know, a failed car bombing attempt to silence his voice of uncovering the truth that has come into his possession. You know, and I'm reminded of that moment, that, that sort of catalytic moment for Michael Clayton. You know, in Scripture, in the New Testament, uh, there are two distinct Greek words translated into our English word time. Kind of a two-for-one deal this week, I guess. You got a little bit of Hebrew from Adam, you get a little bit of Greek from me tonight. You know, the word in our English Bible, time, there's two words in Greek. One of them is the word chronos, which, as we might expect, refers to chronological time, a uh, specific time on the clock or our watch. The other Greek word I find very interesting, it's the word kairos. And it's not a specific chronological time, but it's a, it's a moment or event that can kind of make a stop in our tracks. It can interrupt our mundane lives. It has the potential to give us pause to reflect and to recalibrate our lives as needed. We could say that for Michael, this moment, this moment with the horses and, and the failed car bombing was in a sense, a Kairos moment for him. It's a moment that, that moved him from disillusionment and grief to positive action and repentance. This was that moment in the film we see not once, but twice. This moment that stirred something deep within him as he barely escaped death. You know, the reality is these Kairos moments for you, for me, for us, they certainly may not be as traumatic as an attempted car bombing, but there are moments for all of us. And I, I recall many as I've been reflecting the last few days, you know, moments of pain, moments of joy, sometimes simply moments of, of quiet whispers, which if we take time to acknowledge reflect upon, discuss with trusted friends that can keep us on a trajectory towards abundant life. You know, the, the telling of the parable of the fig tree by Jesus, I think, had the potential to do just that, to stop people, to recalibrate their lives and their worldview, their understanding of the character of God. You know, the listeners that were listening then, that parable has same opportunity for us as well, as we celebrate the fact that the God revealed in Jesus is not as I heard preached this past Sunday, not an overbearing, impatient vineyard owner, hell-bent on chopping down everything, not bearing fruit, 
but the one with the shovel patiently waiting and working and wooing us through Kairos moments to repent and believe the kingdom of God is indeed in our midst. And so, as, as Adam mentioned, as we watch the credits roll in this film, you know, we once again get a glimpse in the eyes of our protagonist as he's in this taxi cab. We see into his soul, the soul of a man who is obviously still deeply wounded and exhausted, but you know, we see signs of hope reminding us that repentance truly is the key uh, which unlocks the door to hope, to renewal, and to reconciliation, which will be our theme next week. That was our very own Jason Tripp and Adam Klein having a conversation about the movie Michael Clayton. And since I have not yet seen it, but intend to, I will ask you, Jared, um, what were some of the things you appreciated about the film and how did you see that kind of tying in with the Lent themes? Right. So, um, you know, one of the things I found really fascinating, and this is just a minor detail, but um, the movie ends, uh, the credits roll, but the story continues over those credits. And it's a, it's a nice little piece of acting by George Clooney. I think it's very memorable and, uh, uh, it might go up there in one of my favorite all-time credit roles uh, in, in terms of an ending. So that's just a tiny tidbit. That's just a little bit about me and how I think about stuff. But the movie itself, fascinating. Fascinating themes of, of repentance. Um, you have one character who is losing his grip on reality. Um, but in losing their grip on reality... Um, is becoming more and more sane because the world that he has inhabited has required him to uh, do things he doesn't believe in, believe things he doesn't believe in, um, and generally be a bad person. And he is trying to uh, repent and, and, and uh, change his ways. Michael Clayton, very similar story. He, he is coming from a very fallen place himself uh, has bought into things um, isn't is not always doing in this movie things that are good and right but following his friend through the repentance and penance rabbit hole is is redeeming himself I don't think that's much of a spoiler at all I think you can you you, you that doesn't really make a lot of sense unless you see the movie, but those are some of the themes that I really responded to. I think it's brilliant. I think Tilda Swinton is unbelievably awesome in this movie as well. Never disappointed by her. Honestly, she's awesome. So I think, I think uh, uh, this is an excellent uh, pick. I always find Jason and Adam's picks um, or not always. I have found over Lent. They're weird, but I like it. I like it. These would not be movies I would have picked, but I see what they see in them and I love what they see in them. And that's one of my favorite things about movies for Lent is uh, Jason and, and, and Adam are acting like lit liturgists for us. Mm. They are, they're curating content. And sometimes you have to sit there and scratch your head and say, why did you put those two things together? And that question alone leads you to the reflection that I hope Jason, I know that Jason and Adam hope that we, uh, we engage in. So I'm going to leave off our time here together with the discussion questions. We're going to walk these through. And uh, for those of you who are viewing things at home after the fact, 
you L later this weekend can do some reflecting on these questions. So question one, after viewing Michael Clayton, what thoughts and impressions lingered as the credits roll and beyond? Why? Question two, from a cinematic perspective, what do you in, what did you enjoy about the film? What worked for you? What didn't? Question three, in the film, our protagonist is burdened and beat down, and his friend has had a break from reality. One is lost and disillusioned, the other repentant and in pursuit of penance. In what ways does this reflect the stories we tell ourselves and share as a society? And then question three, in our lectionary passage, Jesus tells a parable, a fig tree has failed to bear fruit, but the field hand is asking for one more chance. How many figurative fig trees are present in this film and how many chances do they have? So those are the study questions or the re reflection questions for this week. I encourage you all, um, if you can, join the conversations on Wednesday night. They uh, reveal things about movies. I learned a ton about Kubo uh, from just showing up on a Wednesday night. And uh, I will see you there next Wednesday night if, if you want to join us. Uh, but we'll be talking about another movie. So tune in to the Movies for Lent Facebook group to see what that movie is. L, this has been fun. I'm glad you're going to join us and watch one of the movies on the Movies for Lent. I'm also excited about some of the things that we're working at in, in and around the New Leaf Network. Can you talk a little bit about how people can keep up with us and see what's going on and get involved? Absolutely. The best way to keep up with us is uh, the website, newleafnetwork.ca. And if you're the type of person who likes to receive emails, I know there are a few of you out there, you can sign up for our email list on the website so that anything new that's happening, we keep you updated there as well. A couple of things that would be great to note, we're having an event happening May 27th and 28th called The Table at McMaster Divinity College. If you are someone who is familiar at all with the work of Andrew Root, um, he talks a lot about uh, secularity and uh, has a number of great books on that. We're doing a pre-conference with him on the Friday, and then we're going to be having a kind of an, a, a retreat-like space with a number of people, uh, speakers that you may not know, some that you will. We're going to come together and really offer some space for people. We know so many people who are tired or hurt or struggling in their faith and in their leadership. Pastors and ministry leaders are just kind of burnt out and we are creating a feast uh, in these difficult times and we want you to be present. So if you know someone that you think would benefit from that, we're offering it online as well. Um, check us out, newleafnetwork.ca slash the table. We're also doing some fun stuff with the Learning Center in the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. Right now we're doing um, something called the Canadian Political Theology Learning Center in conjunction with Ambrose University. So if that's a conversation that you find interesting or you're wondering what is Canadian political theology, uh, we're answering that or at least trying to together. So that's being curated by Ryan Turnbull and John Couch. John Couch is uh, uh, one of the um, 
professors over at Ambrose and he's bringing in a host of different people uh, to chat about that. So you can join us. That's Fridays. Um, it's happening March the 25th, April 1st and April 8th. That's 1.30 p.m. Eastern online. You can find that on the website as well. And we also just want to make note that here at the New Leaf, we have been working on some publishing. Um, Jared's book was the first one that we published, but the New Leaf Press is alive and running and a book that we have been working on for a while by Dr. James Robertson out of Tyndale. Uh, some of you may know him affectionately as Jamie Robertson. Uh, he's been working on a book and we're so proud to put it out into the world. Um, and it's coming out, I believe, April 1st. It's called Over correct. Overlooked, The Forgotten Origin Stories of Canadian Christianity. And we would love to have you purchase the book read it, participate. We're going to do a learning center, a book club where we can um, spend some time with Jamie and some other guests and learn together. So we're proud of the book and we hope it's a good book and we hope that you'll be able to read it. Not a lot of books on Canadian Christianity that come out all that often. And so we are happy to be sharing this story with you. Well, friends, that's all from us this week. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you for Movies for Lent next week. Take Indeed. care. Indeed. Goodbye, everybody.